introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Let's do it. Five seconds to go in the first half. Dante fires deep to the left. Moss caught it at the 11, but now he pitches it to Mo Williams. Touchdown! You gotta be kidding me! Alright, alright, welcome back to a special edition of the Climbing the Pocket podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And I say it's a special edition because I'm going to have a conversation with someone that you all know and love, QB1, but it's going to be a little bit different. Putting QB1 on the hot seat, a little bit of a deeper dive, really having a conversation so all of our listeners can get to know the man behind the smooth voice, the man who really was the driving force behind Climbing the Pocket, named the podcast, gave us a name, helped us get things really started back in the day. And yeah, so I'm going to have an extended conversation with uh, with QB1JR today. And uh, yeah, we don't really know where this conversation is going to go, but uh, we hope you enjoy it. So with, with that said, uh, QB1, my man, how you doing? How you been? Good, man. You know, getting prepped up for draft season, you know, is going to be around the corner. College football about to start. So I'm excited about that. Man, I'm going to need you to slow down just a little bit. I mean, it's, it's you know, you talking draft season. It's the season season. We got training camp starting. We got actual NFL football just around the corner. You're already looking into next season and the guys that might get drafted might declare all that stuff. Slow down. Enjoy the moment, man. Yeah, man, I mean, you have to. You have to stay ahead of the game just because you get guys that you want to be You want to be ahead just because there is guys that are already good that you know about, but there's also guys that have spectacular years and they pop up. So you kind of want to be ahead of the curve before some of these guys really have a breakout year. All right, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I guess we're going to rewind a little bit here because we're making a lot of assumptions. Obviously, you are one of the founding members of Climbing the Pocket. You've been on the podcast since episode one. But uh, in case we got some new listeners, we did just, you know, introduce ourselves to a new audience at Daily Norseman. I guess, can you give people a little bit of a backstory? Tell them a little bit about yourself, how you got started in this draft thing, following the Vikings, doing really all that you do on Twitter and all the places that you write right now. Yeah, so I actually started really writing seriously when I was in college. I went to a small school called North Carolina Central University, which is located in Durham, North Carolina, I'm sure. Everybody has heard of Duke University before. It's only about five minutes away from that. So I started writing there. And while I was playing football, uh, I played quarterback there as a three-year starter from uh, 2010 to 2013. But while I was doing that, I would also write on the side because writing is something that I've always had a passion for outside of just playing football. And if the whole NFL thing didn't work out for me, of course, I had aspirations of doing that. But if the whole NFL thing didn't work out for me, I always wanted to be a beat writer. That's something that I dreamed of when I was growing up. I always wanted to be involved in sports and being able to write. So I wanted to figure out a way to combine the two of my passion with football while also being able to write as well. So becoming a beat writer was always my dream. Uh, But while I was playing, I started a blog on blogger.com. I'm not even sure if that website still even exists anymore, but I didn't have the courage to publish stuff back then. But if certain stuff would pop up like a certain sports story. I would just jot down some quick notes or my thoughts about it. And it was like a journal, pretty much a personal diary. And I haven't checked on it to see if that website still exists or if blogger.com, my little journal is still there to this day. But I had over hundreds of articles there and just jotting down every single thing that I had 
uh, just little thoughts on about certain sports events. And then uh, the NFL thing didn't work out for me, and I actually went into coaching right away as a graduate assistant at North Carolina Central. I coached uh, receivers there for a year, and then I coached quarterbacks my second year as a graduate assistant. So I really started to figure out the the other side of things. And what I mean by the other side is uh, you figure out what you want to do as a player, and you go through you know certain aspects of that, the grind, the day-to-day grind, and playing through games as a player. But then the coaching side, you figure out a whole new side that you have no idea about. And that's what I learned as a graduate assistant. I ended up getting on, on as a full-time role there as a running backs coach and the recruiting coordinator. And once I got on as the recruiting coordinator, that's really where I started to find my love of scouting. And growing up, I didn't – oh, I actually watched the NFL draft. I watched all seven rounds. So I always had a love for the NFL draft, but it wasn't really my passion. But once I was hired as the recruiting coordinator at North Carolina Central, that's really where I started to find my passion just because – I love finding out guys' backstories, what makes them tick, and just why they got involved in the game and what you really figure out who loves the game, who really doesn't love the game. And just I love finding out guys' story of how they got involved in the game because, uh, as you can see with my draft guide, I love figuring out two sides of the equation with guys because we can flip on ESPN, we can see Daniel Jones throwing touchdowns for Duke, and we can see how good he is when he is in the helmet. But outside of the helmet, I want to find out exactly who that guy is, what type of character does he have, did he come from a two-parent household, single-parent household? Just certain things like that are what you come to figure out about certain guys. So that's really putting the pieces to the puzzle. And I'm a problem solver. I love building teams. I'm that guy that started with the worst team on Madden and tried to build it up. So just figuring out those type of puzzle pieces is really how I got involved in the industry. And that's just a little bit of background of me uh, from the past few years. Now, as far as the drafting or scouting side of things, I was unfortunately let go a couple years ago from Central, and that's really where I started my whole entire blogger career. And here I am today with the Draft Network, and it's funny how this thing really works out and really how you have to start from the ground up. So really where I started was uh, it was a couple guys named Robert Rydell and Drew Mahold, and they're still very active guys on Twitter. They actually gave me my first chance with a small website called the NFC North Barroom. And it was composed of about eight guys. And I, we, us three were actually the Vikings guys for that website. There was a Bears guy, and there was a Packers guy, and there also was a Lions guy. But there was only one person for that website. But me, Drew, and uh, BJ, which is his nickname that he actually goes by, we all three worked together there. And they started the About the Labor podcast. Um, I'm not sure if that's still going today, but uh, they actually started that podcast from there. And those two guys were the guys that first gave me my chance. It started from there, and we got like ten page views per article. So it was a very small. <laughs> it, it was so a just, very, <laughs> very small. So we have website. some perspective there, I guess. Can you help me understand, like, what what time frame are we talking when you started writing on NFC Barroom? This was 2015 when I actually started there, and it started with a simple email, and they were starting up a website. And this is when I actually started my Twitter account. And it's crazy how my actual Twitter Twitter account actually started. So. How my Twitter account started was, if you remember, the Vikings had interest in Michael Johnson. And back then, it was the whole thing where they courted guys. They, The beat writers would show up to the airport taking pictures of guys. They would court them. And you wouldn't know anything about the visit until they were exiting or they signed. That's really when free agency was really fun. There wasn't this whole guys can sign at midnight or anything like that. It wasn't like that a couple of years ago. But they were courting Michael Johnson. They had a huge need at defensive end. Everson Griffin was really their only guy. Brian Robinson was starting to wind down a little bit during that time. He was getting a bit long in the two. So Everson Griffin really was the only guy that they had. 
that was proven at the time. So they needed some more depth uh, opposite of Everson Griffin. And Michael Johnson, he was still in his heyday. And the Bengals unfortunately released him just because they had some disagreements on the contract numbers that he did have. Uh, so I wanted them to sign Michael Johnson so bad just because I thought he was that missing piece of the Super Bowl run. And I thought if the Vikings signed him, he, him and Everson Griffin were going to be that dynamic duo coming off the edge. Come to find out, they take him to Manny's, they court him, they bring him in, and he exits. He doesn't sign. So I am absolutely pissed. So I find out a way to sign up for a Twitter account. I follow like three people. It was like Arif, uh, the Vikings actual official page, and somebody else. I don't remember. It was like Chris Thomason or uh, Ben Gesslin or somebody like that. So I follow like three people. Nobody follows me. I have zero followers, and I'm just ranting about Michael Johnson. And I'm at, <laughs> I'm tagging the Vikings page and everything. I can't believe they let Michael Johnson Michael Johnson walk out the door. This is the guy you need. So that's really how my Twitter page started. But come to find out, they they drafted Neil Hunter the same year. So it's crazy how things work out. But that's how my whole Twitter page actually got started. But from there, uh, I'm continuing working for the NFC North Barroom. But I transitioned to being more of a draft guy as opposed to just writing about the Vikings. And come to find out, I'm combining the two of my passion with – scouting and actually writing i'm like man i really love what i'm doing and the first guy that i actually watched or who i really fell in love with was marcus peters that was really one of the first prospects that i really wrote a lot of pages about and after that i just started collecting all of these prospect pages and it was it's once again in that blocker.com uh journal and i just have hundreds of guys in there and i'm like man i really need to think of making a passion of this so i start publishing my work on the actual blogger page, I finally get the courage to publish this stuff and it's starting to get some notoriety and I'm putting stuff up. I'm tagging it on my Twitter page. That's where the whole reading between the lines thing actually started. It goes all the way back to 2015 uh, when I was doing some of this. So just little things like that. And then after that, I start with Vikings territory and it was another website, another Vikings website. I can't really remember uh, off the top of my head, but I worked for every single one just about, uh, just doing just <laughs> just doing draft stuff but then i kind of wanted to start my own thing that's really where climbing the pocket really came from and that's the name that i've always i always wanted to have a quarterback tag and it's something that i named uh, for my website and climbing the pocket is really something that i always wanted but as you know jason it originally started as i don't hate sam bradford that was, <laughs> and and that you'll was, be happy to know uh, as you were speaking there about blogger you weren't sure if blogger was still a thing or blogger still existed I actually went on over and logged into Blogger, and uh, Blogger is still there. I don't hate Sam Bradford, I guess, is still up. And it's funny, as I'm looking at it here, uh, yeah, obviously I posted you know, all the podcast articles, but I'm looking through here. We got 30 prospects in 32 days. Yeah. Your scouting reports on, uh, on Connor Williams, Derwin James, Sam Darnold, and on and on we go. So even taking it back to the... Uh, you know, the, the, I guess the infancy, the beginning climbing the pocket, you're in there grinding it out uh, back in, uh, in 2017 uh, on Blogger, which if you haven't used Blogger before, it is, uh, it's definitely not WordPress. It's a place, you know, everyone <laughs> needs to start, but it's, uh, yeah, grinding these things out to get, uh, let me see here, what's the top one I'm looking at? Sam Darnold got 254 views. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's crazy just going back and looking at stuff like that and Honestly, I do not remember how me, you, uh, Yinka, and Miles met. I honestly have no idea how all of it came together, but I'm glad it did. Uh, I wanted to start a podcast, and we started the the CTP podcast. And 
here it is taking off today, and I'm really proud with you know with the help of all of you guys to where it is launched, and you know, I think it's going to be one of the bigger Vikings platforms here in probably the next few months. That's what we're looking to do. We're looking to build the uh, you know the the biggest Vikings. I guess we'll say independently run because we are a fan run pod channel where you get you know all sorts of different opinions, talking Vikings, um, different flavor really on every show. You got your analytics. You got your optimism, you got your just kind of standard fan takes with Scolders, you got the old school takes with GMG, and then uh, you got us on, on Climbing the Pocket, really talking about whatever we feel like talking about, every now and again making people upset because, you know, they tune in thinking this is going to be a football podcast all the time. Sometimes we're going to talk about other stuff, and today we're talking about QB1, JR, and really understanding a little bit more about him and his grind. And so one of the things, you know, you mentioned you started your Twitter account, you had nothing, no followers, no nothing. You just wanted to rant about Michael Johnson not signing with the team. Uh, where is the point where you really realized, because you, I mean, like you said, you were grinding for very small uh, publications, you know, posting articles on our unknown blog that we really kind of started as a joke, doing stuff for Vikings territory. But when is it that you really saw your follower count and your influence or whatever it might be really blow up where you started to understand, Hey, I might be able to actually do this and make a career of this versus just having it be something I do as a passion or a hobby on the side. Well, it actually wasn't even the writing. It was the videos that I still do to this day because a lot of people really don't like to read nowadays. They, we, we live in a microwave society where they just want the answers right now. They want to be able to learn things right now. And I think the videos that I do post, with the software that I do use. I wasn't using that originally. I was just voicing over really YouTube videos and just explaining things at the time. So really when I started breaking down prospects from the broadcast angle, which today to think about is terrible just because I don't know how I pointed out certain guys, but uh, just just pointing out things like that. And people always want to learn about football. That's something that I've come to know or come to realize is that everyone is always hungry for more content because Football is the ultimate seller of hope, especially the NFL, and they always want to know about certain things that they might not have known about before. So posting those little videos at certain angles, I started with quarterbacks, and me and you actually did this series where we broke down Drew Brees and some other quarterbacks as well, just talking about situational things and maybe something that they're looking at on certain plays and even pocket maneuverization. Uh, those were some of the things that we broke down. So these certain little videos, and they were no more than a minute. And I just started getting a whole bunch of clicks and a whole bunch of likes and a whole bunch of retweets. So when back then they didn't have the actual likes, it was just stars for favorites. If you remember uh, going back before the heart, the heart likes on Twitter. So just getting all those favorites and then people coming back and actually commenting on those things and then DM me about them and say, Hey man, you're very knowledgeable about the game. I respect what you do. And I think you can make a career out of this. So I just wanted to progress forward with making a career out of it. And here I am today. Yeah, and that's one of the things, even if you were to go and, and you, you look at, you know, the reviews for the, the podcast, that's one of the things that stands out a lot about what has been, you know, one of the, the, the key things, I think, for how you have approached things versus maybe some others in the space is that uh, you talk about what can sometimes be very complicated subject matter, but you talk about it in a way that makes it feel accessible to people. And a lot of the comments we get in there are really you know, JR helped me learn this much about football or JR explained this concept to me that I'd never really be able to fully understand or JR talked about it in a way that didn't make me feel stupid <laughs> as he was going through it. And so that's definitely a, you know, a gift that you have in terms of, you know, how you go through and how you explain things and, and, and really how you uh, help people 
you know, understand this, uh, this crazy game of, of football that sells us hope every year that we love and hate so much as, as Vikings fans year in and year out. But that's another question that, you know, I guess we need a little bit of explanation on because you're a boy from North Carolina, went to college in North Carolina, but you are a, a Minnesota Vikings fan and started your career writing primarily about the Vikings. And I know those first sets of videos that you were doing and breakdowns you were doing were really about breaking down the Vikings games that just happened before you eventually kind of specialized and went down the quarterback route, et cetera. How are you a Vikings fan? How did that happen? Yeah, this is like the typical question that I always get. And it's a simple answer. It's Randy Moss. I grew up right in the prime of Randy Moss. I was born in 91 and Randy Moss got drafted in 98. So I grew up watching him and he actually made me a Minnesota Vikings fan. Him and Dante Culpepper, Randall Cunningham, uh, all the quarterbacks he was with during his heyday. And I just stuck with the team after that. And I'm not a guy. I'm very loyal to the teams that I cheer for. And, Jason, you know the other teams that I cheer for, they don't need to be mentioned, even though yeah, they we don't been... need to, We don't need to talk about all that. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't been good in years past. Uh, but the Vikings, they're a team that I've been loyal to since 98 when Randy Moss was drafted. That's really when I started to gravitate towards the game of football. And he made me a Minnesota Vikings fan. Uh, he made me a fan of the team. I love the colors, and I stuck with the team uh, through thick and thin ever since that point. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you know, we talked a little about about the writing, but we can't let you completely off the hook here because, you know, you said you played a little football. And uh, I need to hear a little bit more about this career because, you know, we've been giving you these QB1 props for a little bit. But, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, a, did you always play quarterback from, you know, uh, you know, back in the, the peewee days? Or is that something that came on later on? Like, what kind of quarterback were you? Were they you know, playing from the pocket? Were you scrambling around? Did you play both sides of the ball? Help me out here. Help me understand. Tell me a little bit about your, your playing career and if football was really the sport for you from the beginning all the way up through college when you, when you played at uh, in, in Durham there. So I actually started out, basketball was my first love. My dad started playing me when he was when I was four years old that's really when I started really getting involved in the game I played in little hoops and I'm sure Jason you have two daughters so you know exactly these small recreational games that go on they have the 10-foot goal and then they have like the I think it was like a seven-foot goal that they hang right in front of that so I was playing little hoops uh, when I was four but my dad just didn't feel like I was tough so he signed me up for football when I was nine and I cried the whole way there (laughs) I cried the entire way there when he signed me up just saying that I didn't want to play, I didn't want to play. Uh, but it turns out that it ended up working out for me. Uh, I played. It sounds like a basketball player, though. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, so the first day of practice, and I'll never forget this day, I had no clue what position I wanted to play. So I started out as a linebacker just because I actually was physical. I wanted to hit people, even though I wasn't tough. Uh, basketball-wise, I I was a bit tougher on the football field for whatever reason. So I was wearing number 43, and I had a horseshoe like Mike Allstott used to wear because my mom was terrified of me hurting my neck and my head. So she made me wear this horseshoe. But then the second day of practice, we were looking for a quarterback. Our starting quarterback actually got hurt, and the coach was just playing catch with everybody. And it came to me, and I threw the ball like 30 yards down the field. And it was one of those situations like – oh, my God, was he playing or was he serious? And so he tossed it back to me, and I threw it like 35 yards the next play. (laughs) And he was like, okay, we got ourselves a quarterback. So I'm playing quarterback, 
and linebacker with number 43 on with a horseshoe. Ew, <laughs> 43, JR, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yes, because I was a late signee. I signed up late, so they just assigned me any number. But the next year I got number nine. And it's just a funny story of how things worked out. After that, I was a football guy uh, through and through, even though I did play uh, AAU ball. I was on the AAU circuit every year, all the way through high school. I played basketball in high school. I was a three-year starter uh, on the varsity team in high school. So very involved still at basketball, but football was always my passion. Uh, going to college, of course, I was all in. Football, quarterback-wise, I was a bit of a mixture. I, I wouldn't classify myself as a dual-threat guy just because I only like to use my legs when I absolutely needed them. But I had to use them much more than I wanted to just because we had a very young offensive line. Uh, during my later years, we were playing strictly freshmen and sophomores besides my left tackle, who was my best friend, actually. Uh, he was the only other senior when I was a senior. So we were playing very young guys. And I, I actually posted my clips uh, about a week ago, some of the highlights that I had throughout my career. But I had a very successful career. I didn't put up gaudy numbers or anything like that. I think the most touchdowns I ever threw in the season was like 14 or 15. So it wasn't no crazy, outrageous numbers or anything like that. But one record I do own that I'm proud of is that I do own the record for completion percentage at North Carolina Central University, which is 62%. I'm very proud of that, and that just shows you that I knew where to go with the ball, and that's really the only record that I ever do own. We, did, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't win a lot of games. The most we won in the year was seven. I think we went seven, seven and five one year, so we weren't very good overall as a team. But I'm very proud of what I did and what I accomplished. Yeah, Sam Bradford and Kirk Cousins would be proud of you, man. <laughs> Racking up the completion percentage. That's what I'm talking about right there. Yes, sir. That just fits. You know, the circle of life and all that good stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to do a player comp for yourself now, if you were writing up JR in uh in your in your scouting guide, in your draft guide, what um, would be the uh yeah, what would be the the comp for you? That's a good question. I would have to think about that. I can't think of one right off the top of my head. Uh, Steve McNair was the guy I modeled my game after, but I wasn't as dynamic as Steve McNair. But I don't really consider him a dual threat guy just because he wasn't a guy that really, you know, relied on his legs a whole bunch, but he only had to use them when he had to. So McNair would probably be a good comp. Yeah, Air McNair is uh, perennially perennially underrated. Yes. Like, that man was a beast. Mm-hmm. Was a beast. All right, so we talk about the the the, the career as as an NFL. I guess yeah, that's the last thing I needed to ask. Can't believe I almost forgot that. Uh, what made you not continue to pursue the football dreams? I was just tired of taking the hits, man. I got I got really banged up my senior year, and like I said, we were playing a lot of young guys up front, and I just took a beating. Really, I think we led the league in sacks given up, so it was somewhere like David Carr numbers. So. <laughs> It was really bad, and I just couldn't take those hits anymore, and I just wanted to get right into coaching, and that's something that I did. I was fortunate enough to get a situation right away as a graduate assistant and get my master's degree right right after that. So football has really taken care of me, and I appreciate that. That's awesome. So what was it like for you? Because I know that in the beginning when you kind of were dabbling a little bit in this, but you were still coaching, and you weren't really sure if you were going to go all in with you know, the draft stuff or you are going to stay with the Vikings – you didn't really talk too much about the fact that you were a, a coach. Uh, what what was it like for you, I guess, you know, getting out there, putting out articles, scouting, but then not knowing if maybe you were going to, you know, come across a player or a coach or something like that, you know, in your, in, in your kind of day job setting, um, 
that you may have had to be a little critical about, you know, one of their people or one of their players or someone that they coached in the past or something like that. Like, how did you balance being objective and, and really writing about what you were seeing versus the, the other side of things where you might end up actually encountering these people in real life and, you know, any of the awkwardness that might have come from that? Yeah, it was really awkward. And that's really why I never really attached my name, my entire name to my Twitter profile. And I never showed my face. I just had a black and white picture. So that's something that I made sure to do just because I didn't want to have like my entire name attached to something. And I know that may be a bit uh, cowardly by me, but it's just something that I had to do to set up my career and something that I wanted to eventually do. And I dabbled in, I dabbled in it with a, with it a little bit, I should say, and that was the biggest reason why I never showed my face a bunch on these articles, just because I know a lot of these guys that I was talking about, as far as the the people that are actually coaching them. That's why I tried to keep most of my stuff as positive as I can, except for scouting reports, which is a bit more in depth and breaking down po- actual positives and negative, actual positives and negatives, I should say. And not just putting out tweets of just being completely negative about guys. And I'm still that way to this day. I don't like to put a whole bunch of negativity out there just because I'm just not that way. I like to bump up guys as much as I can. But when it comes to scouting reports and actually talking about them and breaking them down, that's where you get into some of the things that they might not do as well. Okay, so as your your uh, your, your follower, your influence, the people reading your work has grown what are some of the, I guess, the positives that have come from that? But what are some of the maybe the, the negatives that you didn't really foresee coming with, you know, you, you know, blowing up over 20,000 followers, you know, working at bigger and bigger places now at the Draft Network? Like, what are some of the unintended consequences, I guess, if you will, that have, you know, popped up now that you are really forging forward and, and building this career that you set out for for yourself? I think it's people not really understanding what you're trying to say in a tweet and they may take it a wrong way. Like I put up a clip of Tua about two weeks ago when I was talking about him just getting through progressions cleanly. And Alabama has a Alabama fans are very strong and they have a very strong following on Twitter and they took it in a negative light when I really didn't mean it that way. And just saying, Hey, here's something that it needs to improve on. I'm already a huge fan of him, but I would like to see him improve in this phase. So just little things like that. And whenever your follower count gets high, you're going to get people that take things the wrong way. And you're going to get a bunch of no name or no face, that type of people that just say really outlandish things to you. Now I haven't had any racial slurs or anything like that coming to me, but you see some really disgusting things that you don't really deserve. So just little things like that. Some of the backlash that you get. Yeah. And so you're know, with that, you know, social media and that's, you know, something that pops up a lot of the time. Like, how do you because you're a pretty level headed dude. And obviously, you know, we we stay in touch on a near daily basis talking about, you know, pod stuff or you know stuff for the site or whatever might be coming up next on our next episode. Uh, you're a pretty even keel dude. What is it that you do to keep yourself? Uh, yeah. Keep yourself uh, with, with such a generally positive attitude, given that you probably are receiving a lot more. You know, negativity or backlash or things coming back at you than you were back in you know the NFC barroom days. Like, uh, what what are, what are your tips and tricks for you know those of us who are not at your level on 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 Twitter or social media for keeping our sanity in all of the craziness and nonsense that does happen on these platforms? It's just understanding the process and where you came from. Like I said, I didn't start at whatever how many other followers I have right now. I really don't know. I'm not a guy that checks it or anything like that. So I didn't have as many as I do right now. I started all the way at zero 
right here four years ago when I started my account in like 2015, I believe it was. And just understanding that you have to start from the ground up. And like I said, we have a microwave society. Everybody wants to start right now. They want to have 10K plus followers and understand that this thing is a process. You have to build it up, build it up, build it up. And it's just like building up a resume. And that's all that I've done. And I make sure just to give back as much knowledge as I can. That's why I always leave my DMs open. I've had hundreds of people flood my emails and flood my DMs about just asking for advice. And I make sure to get back to everyone as quickly as I can, just because I understand exactly. There's people trying to make it out here. I was in this situation uh, not even four years ago, writing for the NFC North Bar Room on blogger.com, trying to be a guy that was out here trying to eventually get this type of platform. But you just have to work hard, man. And just working on a draft guide last year just proved so much to me just because you have some 3, 4, 5 a.m. nights. And even though you don't see the big picture right now, you understand the baby steps and the process. And it makes you so proud of the end result. That's why when I finished the draft guide, man, it was one of the greatest feelings in the world just because it was essentially like writing a book. I think it was like 235 pages or something like that. And this is like a 12-month 12 12 process of data that you're collecting, information that you're getting, whether that's from the senior bowl or articles that you read, magazines, just little things like that. I just try to incorporate every single thing just because you never know who's reading this stuff. And just to just to give you some insights, Lance Zerline is a guy that read my stuff. He gave it to Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard said something to me about it, like I really enjoyed this. I actually glanced at a few pages of it. So you never know exactly who could encounter your stuff. And then the people that you're encountering, you never know who they give this stuff to. And something that I made an emphasis of doing is that you want to broadcast your work. So it's so much things that go behind the scenes. What I did with my draft guide is everybody that I follow, I sent a mass DM to just giving them this draft guide. And I know I asked $10 for it and thank everybody that purchased it, but I broadcasted to everybody, every notable name that I'm in contact with, everybody who I network with, Dane Rugler, Matt Miller, all the big name guys, I sent it to just because you never know who they could eventually send it to. And this guy could be your employer. He could be your next opportunity at a big network. And then down at the senior bowl, I took some of the samples from it and I gave it to some people out there just because there's so many NFL people. You have all these executives, you have all these big names from these websites and come to find out draft network was a guy that I encountered. Uh, we talked about some things down there and that's really where our relationship really formed. And there were some other people that I talked to down there from major networks and that I got to network with Emory hunt, who we're very familiar with is a guy that had covered me when I was playing at North Carolina central. He called some games when he was a commentator, uh, he made the trip down and he knew who I was, but he didn't know who my face was. But I introduced myself to him and he helped me out. Just little things like that. You just have to network and you just have to grind. That's the biggest thing that I can say. And that's awesome, man. And so, you know, four years ago, uh, grinding out NFC bar room two years ago, starting uh, your podcast, getting the, uh, the, the, I guess the, the origins of climbing the pocket off the ground at I don't hate sambradford.com you know a year ago probably a year and a half ago vikings territory then cover one now with uh with the with the draft network so if we were to look out you know four years from now what do you want things to look like as you uh, as you continue to build this career for yourself so my ultimate dream is like daniel jeremiah he's a guy that he's like michael jordan to me man i actually absolutely love dj like i've li listened to his podcast ever since he started it uh, three four years ago I like I have a notebook of notes 
from him. They're doing an actual prototype series where they're going through every position right now where they're interviewing just these pros and some of the guys that they have encountered with in the past. And DJ is a guy that I absolutely look up to. I actually had an encounter with him down at the Senior Bowl. I had a good talk with him and Bucky Brooks. So just being in a guy's situation like that, whether that's NFL Network or ESPN like that, that's a situation that I would love to be in. That's my dream job, and that's my ultimate goal. I don't want to be an actual NFL GM or anything like that just because I don't want that pressure. I don't want to be on the hot seat or anything like that. I don't want to deal with that. I just want to be able to write about football. I want to be able to go home to my family and not have any worries about wins or losses. And I just want to be able to, you know, if I miss out on the evaluation or if I miss on somebody, I'll just get some bad Twitter replies to it. I can deal with that as as opposed to getting fired in my whole livelihood. Uh, being a sunken hole. So just being with NFL Network, ESPN, or something like that, that's my ultimate goal. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, last question for you, just because you brought it up, it jogged my memory, something that uh, maybe gets levied as a criticism against draft Twitter on occasion is uh, how do you learn from your mistakes? Because oftentimes what you'll see is, you know, we'll say we'll take a guy like Hakeem Butler this past year where, you know, a lot of people who I really, you know, respect in the game had him as a very high pick. Obviously, it didn't work out like like that for him when the process got going. Um, for things like that, when you know you have a player that you miss on in a big way, or maybe a player that you rank lower that he gets an opportunity and blows up in the NFL, what is your process, or how do you go back and and you know kind of self correct, learn from those mistakes? Because it often seems like as soon as the last day of the draft is over all of the draft Knicks have just moved on to the next year. It doesn't really seem like there's a lot of time for, uh, yeah, for self-reflection or for, you know, correcting the mistakes of the past. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think the biggest mistake that a lot of draft Knicks make is not understanding what the NFL game consists of. And what I mean by that is you see me going through most of the elite players in the NFL, some of the upper tier guys that are near elite and just understanding what they are as a player. So a guy that I went and watched is Darius Leonard uh, from the Colts, just understanding, like, why did he translate so well to the NFL? And Just you write down all of these notes. And I'm a huge note taker, as you can see. I have a bunch of notebooks of just actual notes that I have. But the biggest lesson that I learned, and this was in 2016, I believe it was, Laquan Treadwell was the biggest lesson that I learned in scouting because I was a huge fan of him coming out. And the analytic community hammered Laquan Treadwell. They absolutely hated him. They said he was going to be a bust, and they called it from the start. And this is where I really learned to dive into analytics and understanding that it was a piece of the puzzle and something that you could use. And film and analytics, neither one are the end-all, be-all, but you can use each one as a certain resume builder or or certain parts that you can use in a prospect's resume. But back then in 2016, I just ignored the analytical side of things just because I was so deep in the film part of it. And I just yeah, thought, you did. I, I, thought film, <laughs> I thought film was the end-all, be-all. And Laquan Trail's film was really good. If you go back and watch it at Ole Miss, even though he wasn't a huge separator, he put up some really good numbers. But the analytical side of things, his testing numbers at the combine, and then matching that with his certain analytical aspects, it just did not match up really well. And after that point, I just promised myself that I would really pay attention to analytics and really what they brought to the table. 
And that's something that I've added and added and I'm pretty sharp on now. Just and I talked to Mike Band, who was an actual former scout for the Vikings. I actually, you know, got a packet from him and some of the, the analytical things that they used to do when they find when they found the 2015 class, he helped out finding guys like Jared McKinnon, Daniel Hunter, Eric Kendricks, guys of even a guy like Stephen Weatherly was another analytical darling that they found. So using these analytics can really help. And essentially be like the draft is a huge guess, especially when you get to these later round guys. But if you match up what's called these analytical darlings and that match up with film and then that match up as far as their production and what they bring to the table of what they've shown on tape. And in years past, you start to develop a bigger resume and you can really put together some better. Your guess can be essentially be better and you have a better hit or miss rate. So just learning the analytical side of things is something and Laquan. Juan Treadwell's really tape and just thinking that was the end all be all that taught me a huge lesson in 2016. Well, look, we did get something positive out of Laquan Treadwell. Laquan Treadwell after it was all said and done. Well, uh, yo, JR, thank you so much. You stepped in here last minute to, uh, to help us out today. And uh, it was uh, great for me, even though I talk to you pretty much every day to, uh, <laughs> to, yeah, to sit down and get to know a little bit more about you, fill in some of the details, learn a little bit more about your, uh, your playing style. I don't know. I might have to go and check the tape, check the, uh, the measurables to see about this air McNair comparison, but uh, you know, we'll let that go. We'll let that go for right now. And uh, <laughs> I wish I, I wish I put up his numbers. I probably <laughs> be paid a, I'm getting paid a lot more right now. And if you want to see some of the, uh, I guess, Jets fans, if you want to see what, uh, what, what JR had to say about Sam Darnold, head on over to I Don't Hate Sam Bradford. <laughs> what is it? I don't even remember what the name of this blog with the, with the entire thing. I don't hate Sam Bradford.blogspot.com. <laughs> Sam Darnold, June 27th, 2017. <laughs> 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 yeah, man. Yeah, man. Look at this over here writing about Sam. Who wrote this article about Sam Bradford? Probably was, you. This seems too positive for me. <laughs> so <I'm, laughs> didn't attach the name to it. Yeah, no one put their name on this one, so I'm not quite <laughs> even sure. You know, people writing positive stuff about Sam Bradford. Lord knows who that could have been. But yeah, head on over. I don't hate Sam Bradford.blogspot.com. <laughs> See the uh, the beginnings of this whole thing. And uh, yeah, listeners, I know this was a different one. We'll be back in really another day. So tomorrow with the more football heavy podcast, running you through everything we're going to be looking at as training camp gets going. So if you made it this long, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.